and welcome to Didian Hawthorne and the In-Between, your place for everything reading and language related. I'm your host, Mackenzie Gentz. Now bookmark that book and let's begin. Hello, hello, welcome to the show. Hello and herzlich willkommen zu unserem Podcast. Yes, today we are going over Once Upon a Book Club, bringing up Books to Life Monthly. It is our third book box that we're going over. The box that I'll be detailing in today's episode is from November 2020. It is their adult November 2020 box. And the book that was within that box was Miss Benson's Beetle by Rachel Joyce. As far as I understand, it's her second full-length novel after another novel which was called The Unlikely Pilgrimage of Harold Fry. Uh, Rachel Joyce has won several book awards. She's definitely an up-and-coming author. Um, She, and I'm reading from the back of the book here, was awarded the Specsavers National Book Award for New Writer of the Year in December 2012 and was shortlisted for the UK Author of the Year in 2014. A lot of her other work involves BBC Radio 4, quote, including all of the Bronte novels, unquote, that she adapted um, to radio specials. So I think Rachel Joyce's work seems really interesting. I have lots of thoughts about this novel, so (laughs) we'll get into those right after we start talking about the box and detail some of the things that were inside of it. Part one, the box. So this box came beautifully presented, I shall say. There's pictures of it on the website and I didn't really anticipate or know that this beautiful pink ornate postal box was going to come to my apartment. Um, And I think it just, the presentation I should say of this entire book box is astounding to me. There's so much attention to detail everything from the cards that talk about the book and the events associated with with the book which we'll get into um to the tissue paper to the way every gift is wrapped to the book itself uh is just so curated um and intensely beautiful inside the box so i would say definitely one thing that stands out about this box right off the bat is how beautiful it is There are really two different subscriptions off off of Once Upon a Book Club. Um, There's the adult box and there's the young adult box. So they both are centered around fiction. Um, Really, they're both the same kind of content. You can expect really the same things in them, which is a couple gifts. Uh, There were three gifts in this November box. It comes with the book, of course, bookmarks, and a couple cards. And as well, for this particular book, I'm not sure about others, but for this particular book, they did uh, organize a meeting with the author um, and a couple of different events uh, that were more book club oriented, events that you could get together, presumably, and talk with people as you're reading through the book. Um, this box, as well as they're the same price, they retail for $34.99 per month. And as per all book box subscriptions, you can subscribe for one month, for six months at a time. 
Uh, I just got a gift box for myself, so I gifted the box to myself, um, which is also an option if you just want to try it out for a month. Um, that's what I've been doing with all of these boxes. And as always, for these kinds of episodes, I did spend my own money on this box. It was not gifted to me. This episode is not sponsored in any way by Once Upon a Book Club. Uh, I reserve the right to my own opinion, and I also reserve the right to change my opinion afterwards in case something changes with the box or with the gifts and I post an update later. That is just all of the disclaimer information. Getting into the box here, we have a conversation with Rachel Joyce um, in a little magazine type card on uh, in the book box. So it's called the book club kit. It's beautiful. I mean, like I said before, all of the packaging, all of the photography involved in this box is just splendid. So hats off to product designers under uh, Once Upon a Book Club. Uh, they're doing a great job. A conversation with Rachel Joyce. There was a bunch of questions like what inspired you to write this book and what made you choose Beatles as your theme for this book and what character uh, did you relate to most while you're writing? So I love these uh, questions because I think as you're getting introduced to a novel, these are the kinds of questions that you might be interested in. Um, the kinds of questions that might lead you to more interest in the novel if on first glance it seems like something you might not enjoy reading. For me, I was a little skeptical about this novel, <laughs> to say the least. This is not a novel I would have picked up, as I've been saying for all of the book boxes I know, but this one I would have stayed away from. <laughs> it wasn't that it was just something I wouldn't pick up. It was something that I would have looked at and been like, no. Um, <laughs> but I did read it. Um, and I did enjoy parts of it. So um, for this, reading the conversation with Rachel Joyce with the author that was here was um, something that was really good for me to just start to get into the book a little bit more. There's lots of discussion questions on the next page um, relating to specific events and characters and action points within the book. Um, there's also on... Um, on this page, a read-along uh, chat, seems like. Um, it was January 5th at 6 p.m. and they are going to open, or they apparently open the gifts online live on Facebook. Um, and again, it, in the catalog, it reiterates what pages you open the gifts on. I should mention here that the way the gifts in this box are organized is really cool. I really like the um, idea behind this book box. It's really, really creative and none of the other book boxes that I've seen, I've seen lots of them and I've purchased lots of them for this series. Um, none of them have this premise, which is that as you read along in the book, you reach a certain page number and on that page number, there's a gift associated with the page. So. As you read along in the book, there's items that correspond with the book and you unwrap them as you read the book. So normally a book box, you would unwrap the gifts first <laughs> and then read the book or vice versa, read the book and then unwrap the gifts afterwards. But this one su is super interesting in that it's a read along experience. And so as you get farther and farther along in the book, you get to unwrap more items and 
Um, it helps you, the concept is that it helps you feel more immersed in the book as you're reading. That being said, another concept that I really liked was that within the book itself, there were little sticky notes <laughs> telling you where within the page to stop to open your gift. And so, uh, and oftentimes the uh, keyword that was associated with the gift for this particular box, here's some spoilers. Um, there was a, a bag, a radio, and a magnifying glass. We'll get into those later. Um, and the sentence that the sticky note underlined was the sentence with the object in it. So um, what was really cool for me was that I wasn't really in it for the items, <laughs> of course. I mean, I'm a minimalist. I don't really have much to do with items associated with books like this. But um, what was interesting to me was the uh, anticipation of figuring out, okay, I know it's going to be a radio of some kind, or I know it's going to be a valise of some, of some kind, but what does that mean exactly and what form or what shape will that item take as I open it? Um, and so it was really cool when I, um, uh, when I unpackaged the radio, for example, and it's a little Bluetooth speaker uh, that is in the shape of a radio. <laughs> and so, and you can turn the little volume knob up and down as per an older radio from the 1950s, which is where the time period where this book is set. Um, so I really liked that aspect of it. It was interactive in a different way where you were really wondering how are they going to reimagine this in the physical world. In terms of the quality of the items, the quality wasn't bespoke. It wasn't like handmade items or anything like that, um, but the quality didn't bother me as much because the items were so curated to the novel. For example, the quality of the bag isn't amazing, but it matches the description and it brings to life Enid Pretty, who is the assistant in the novel. Um, and it really, really, really fits the descriptions in the book. And same thing with the radio, like I said, it's sort of like a 1950s radio. Uh, the third object, the magnifying glass, it comes with a picture and in the novel at the end there's a woman who is inspecting a picture with a magnifying glass and so you yourself can inspect the picture with a magnifying glass which is <laughs> so cool and so imaginative and something that um, for me as a reader I don't always get to experience and so uh, it was really cool at the end of the novel especially to take this magnifying glass in my hands and physically inspect the photo as per the character in the story. Um, and I read so much and it's interesting to me how much trust I place in the hand of my authors and I don't really think about um, how I could bring the books into the physical world beyond adapting good traits or good morals <laughs> from the characters within. Um, or maybe getting ideas from the text uh, and so forth. So that was a really um, new and novel uh, practice for me to have. The box also came with two different bookmarks, one that was inside the book when I opened it and one that was in the book box proper area. 
um, and they're both great. They are both very simple, just paper laminated, um, similar to the bookmark in the book drop from last month. Um, I really, honestly, enjoyed presentation. I enjoyed the unwrapping process. It was very, like I said, it was very unique. Uh, we'll get into after we do the summary and discussion of the book, my thoughts about it, will I be getting this box again, and who I would recommend the box for. Part 2. The Novel so like I said, this month we'll be getting into Miss Benson's Beetle, a novel by UK author Rachel Joyce. Uh, this is about two women who go on an adventure to New Caledonia, which is a real place by the way, I looked it up. <laughs> Apparently, I thought it was fake the whole time, I thought it was like Lord of the Rings or something. Uh, and I ended up uh, looking it up during a conversation about the book with a friend. And yeah, uh, it's a real place and it's... Uh, a real deal and a lot of the descriptions and things are descriptions that Rachel Joyce painstakingly researched during the process of writing the book so uh, you can expect cool real descriptions of an amazing place in the world and you get to uh, learn more about this small random nook uh, of the world that maybe you wouldn't have known about before I certainly didn't and I um, found myself being really drawn to the descriptions that Rachel Joyce was um, including in her novel. So um, that being said, two women, both British, the year is 1950. Um, Britain is still in the midst of rationing, still in the midst of drab colors, and um, resources are scarce, and news is not good on the whole. They've just gone through the war, of course, and um, Marjorie Benson, the main character, the heroine of the novel, so to speak, has a breakdown one day at work. She's a domestic science instructor at like a Catholic girls' school, and she steals her boss's boots and she leaves work. And then she decides, you know what, I am going to go to New Caledonia and I'm going to find this beetle that my father um, showed me when I was a child. Um, and so the very sad uh, backstory of Marjorie Benson's life is that she um, was quite little when all four of her older brothers went to fight off in World War I. All four of them ended up dying. And upon hearing that news, her father goes and commits suicide and she is present for that event. Um, her mother uh, is traumatized, so she, they both go live with her father's sisters, her two aunts, and a, an older woman who is their uh, housekeeper named Barbara. Um, and Marjorie has a very quiet life. Her father paid a lot of attention to her. Uh, he was invested, very invested in entomology. Uh, the study of insects and bugs and um, beetles in particular and he instilled this love of beetles in her and part of her dealing, part of her way of dealing with the trauma was to recede and to become a specialist and a true brain in this uh, very niche area um, which is beetles and beetle collection. Marjorie uh, goes to the 
Natural History Museum in London and meets a professor there who is an entomologist. He teaches her everything he knows over the course of 10 years. Their relationship is complex and inappropriate for a relationship of that nature. After 10 years, uh, things come to a head. Marjorie realizes that he has a wife and kids and has no interest in continuing or deepening the relationship with her. She leaves and she becomes a teacher of domestic science. But she has all of this knowledge that she's gathered and she has a sense that she is not done yet. So at 46 years old, she's preparing for the trip of her life. And that trip is to New Caledonia, which, you know, Britain 1950, you can't really get that much information about new places like New Caledonia. From her research uh, years prior, she knows exactly where the golden beetle um, that she's looking for is, which is on a specific island in the north of a specific mountain, um, north on the island of New Caledonia. Um, in a off a town called Poom, and the mountain is shaped like a wisdom tooth, um, and the beetle and this very rare species of white orchid uh, coexist in this part of the mountain. I have no idea if this part is true or not. It might be just a folk tale. I'm not sure. I think that was part of the fiction, certainly, um, from how I was reading it. Um, but yeah, it's supposed to be this entirely golden beetle, um, which is profound because usually scarabs and things of, and creatures of that, those different families, weevils, scarabs, um, are prone to be golden or more reflective, whereas beetles are really never found in that sort of category. I digress. So <laughs> Miss Benson ends up starting to prepare for this trip and she realizes that she can't do it alone. She's 46, she's a little bit overweight, quite a stout woman, um, and she has lots of gear to pack and she needs an assistant. So she uh, puts an ad in the paper and she interviews uh, two assistants. The first, Mr. Mundik, is um, a veteran from uh, World War II and he was placed in a POW camp um, and so he has some pretty deep-rooted traumas that become very clear during the course of her meeting. Um, he mentions snakes, his fear of snakes, um, and he wants to lead her exped expedition and uh, then becomes very angry when she is not super compliant to him or his wishes, uh, really demands. Um, and so she realizes, you know, the relationship is not going to work out. So uh, she dismisses him, um, or he stalks away angrily, as the case may be. Uh, this next woman is fantastic. She decides, you know, this is a great, you know, expedition. I speak fluent French, which is the language of New Caledonia. Um, and she starts organizing every detail of the trip uh, they keep a regular correspondence, Miss Benson and this new woman, um, and everything is great, except <laughs> this new woman catches wind of how Marjorie, how it came to pass that Marjorie left her last position, which is through a pair of stolen boots, which have come into the hands of the police. Um, 
And so the woman decides, I don't want any part of this. <laughs> and uh, she steps away days before the trip. Marjorie Benson is now at her wit's end. She needs an assistant for sure. And she writes back the applicant that she didn't end up interviewing because uh, the applicant was so ridiculous to begin with. And that is Enid Pretty. Enid Pretty wrote her different uh, questions about the interview, etc., on shopping lists. So it, it, she's incredibly disorganized, in other words, and her correspondence and her spelling, for example, are uh, not great. <laughs> um, so Miss Benson uh, did not even reach out to her for an interview, and yet here she is stuck with Enid Pretty. Enid says, I'll be there. Enid arrives. She's late, and she's this... Um, I almost imagine like a Marie Antoinette kind of figure where she's got four huge suitcases and this mysterious red valise and she's got this dyed blonde hair which in 1950s was um, what they would call in the book like a call girl, uh, someone, a woman who is not very dignified to say the least and so having dyed bright blonde hair in the 1950s. That's pretty extreme. <laughs> um, she was, she wears very skimpy outfits, very colorful. She shows up in a bright pink travel suit, for example, without a passport. So they end up taking trains and planes all over the place and have to bribe officials essentially in order to uh, get Enid on the boat, which they do. And she ends, they do end up in New Caledonia after lots and lots of uh, different things going on. Um, this novel is written um, a-chronologically, so it's not in order at all. There are just threads that are sewn together throughout the novel, um, which, you know, it's a very typical narrative style for a book of this kind, where there's sort of a trip going on. Um, I really enjoyed a lot how complex the narrative threads of the novel were actually. So there's one thread with, you guessed it, Mr. Mundick who's following Miss Benson around and who happens to get on the ship and get on a plane to the island and ends up uh, very successfully following them uh, despite the fact that he's incredibly mentally ill, prone to extreme delusions. Um, and uh, has no money or anything to speak of. He does have a passport, he does end up getting a visa to New Caledonia, but um, those things are um, secondary to the amazing luck that he has in his pursuit of following Miss Benson without her knowledge. Um, and there's really no goal in mind to his narrative in the sense that you know that it's going to come to a head and we'll talk about that with massive spoilers later, <laughs> but um, you know that it's going to come to a head, but there's no, Mr. Mundek has no goal direction, which is I think the scariest part about his character is he's following Miss Benson and he wants to scare her and he wants to keep her on her toes um, for no reason. And um, it's just scary that someone would spend their entire livelihood, all their time, um, on something like that. Um, and I do realize that part of it is a coping mechanism. He wants to remain in the present, and following Miss Benson is a way for him to do that. But 
Um, yeah, that's really scary. And I think that uh, Rachel Joyce did a great job of bringing that kind of fear to life. So Marjorie and Enid end up <laughs> on um, New Caledonia. Uh, there are newspaper articles uh, stapled or written rather sprinkled throughout the novel. Um, and we realize that uh, Enid is not Enid. Her name is Nancy Collett and she has supposedly uh, murdered her husband. Um, we learn later that her husband Here's where we get into some massive spoilers, massive-er than we have <laughs> before this, but um, Nancy Collett apparently married, uh, or yes, married, of course, but also murdered her husband, Purse. Um, Purse was homosexual. Um, he did eventually commit suicide, and uh, Enid put him out of his misery. So he was there dying and she smothered him to finish the job, so to speak. Um, so a very dark uh, story and her husband was also a veteran. He had lost um, a leg in the war and had terrible phantom leg pains and um, their relationship was extremely strained afterwards. And so Enid, who wanted to be a mother that's her whole goal in life, and really her whole goal in this story is to become a mother. And um, she eventually does do that, and a thing we'll discuss in a minute, <laughs> but um, she was in this relationship where she loved the person, but they weren't actively trying to conceive, so she ended up having relationships with other men. And so when the story breaks that this man has been murdered, it's a big one. And in this time in Britain, it's the kind of story that blows up very quickly. This dirty, sleazy uh, woman who has had affairs all over the place and whose husband was a um, veteran being seen nonetheless with Marjorie Benson, this school teacher who fled, um, and everything comes out, the truth does come out later, that really, of course, Marjorie is not in on the murder, and that uh, Enid, uh, or that her husband uh, actually committed suicide instead, but um, the story blows up in London, and a lot of the latter parts of the book are involved with uh, people involved with the British consul in New Caledonia, the wives of the people who are stationed there, the business people who are stationed there, um, trying to track down <laughs> these two women. Um, they also get into a bit of trouble because uh, Enid uh, steals a jeep and steals a bunch of supplies for Marjorie when she loses her luggage and her beetle collecting equipment. So. Um, there's lots of things that end up happening along the journey with these two women. Um, mainly though, they discover themselves and throughout the harsh conditions of climbing the mountain and um, Marjorie basically becoming disabled because her hip uh, has some major problems and she gets infected bed bites all up and down her legs with Enid realizing um, she had thought she had a miscarriage on the ship, but she actually um, did not and she kept her baby so she's pregnant this whole time and she ends up having the baby late in the novel which she names Gloria. Then later, even later, Mr. Mundick comes back, everything comes to a head 
and uh, he kills Enid, uh, who's a new mother at this point, and what a devastating part to this novel um, when Marjorie realizes that Enid is no longer alive um, and has been killed by Mr. Mundick. Um, so there's lots that I have not discussed within the plot of this novel, but I will say really the main thing, um, aside from both these women accomplishing their lifelong dreams, Enid becoming a mother, uh, Marjorie does eventually find this golden beetle of New Caledonia. Um, aside from those two things happening, this is a buddy novel meaning that it's really about the relationship between this two, these two women, much like buddy films, like cowboy films uh, in the mid-1900s. So it's a really interesting book um, to read because of that feature that we're really dealing with a relationship between two women who are so different um, but end up finding themselves in each other. Um, and they're different, completely different physically, but they're, uh, they end up changing each other so profoundly throughout the course of this journey. Um, and they get into situations where it's life and death, and they really do uh, come through for each other in ways that they did not come through for each other before. And they develop a real love and a real companionship that's really touching to think about. Uh, Needless to say, after Enid ends up dying, Marjorie does take care of Gloria, um, and they end up traveling the world together, and uh, uh, Marjorie raises Gloria, and they end up finding beetles and becoming entomologists together, and they send their specimens to um, the Natural History Museum, and they encourage a woman the only woman actually at that time working at the Natural History Museum in the entomology department, uh, I believe her name is Freda, uh, they send her a letter at the end with a picture of them with the, no, with the golden beetle, um, uh, which has not been uh, diagrammed and dialogued yet uh, in the museum or in any museum, so it hasn't been quote-unquote discovered yet. Uh, they send this picture and they say New Caledonia in the year and uh, this woman gets inspired to take the trip of her lifetime and to stop sitting still and to stop taking orders from all of these men around her. Um, and I found that profoundly inspiring as well, um, how they were able to push through and make something of themselves against death sometimes, which is um, a really bold story and a really bold premise. So overall, a lot of this book was about just the bickering and the um, developing relationship between these two women. Um, I did not particularly enjoy the first half of this book, I just have to be honest. Um, I thought it was a little bit tiresome, honestly, with this Mr. Moondick thing and you know, I knew, I essentially knew that the plot arc of the novel was going to end up in a big climax. Um, so. I didn't really enjoy the journey, I guess is what I'm saying, but when things started happening a lot more quickly, I did start enjoying getting into the plot. Um, I would say, did the items, did the uh, physical sticky notes in the book that uh, marked the items and when to open them, did those help me get through the book? 
Um, also not really. I think that with any novel, no matter if there's external uh, motivators, um, really the motivation to finish a book should come from inside. Um, that being said, you know, if you are someone who really likes external motivators and really likes the fact that there's going to be like little places for you to take breaks within the novel and have that little dopamine hit of finding a surprise and finding something that connects you physically to the novel, um, then go for this. This is the perfect box for you and I think um, it does enliven the reading experience more. Um, and in terms of um, the book as a whole, I do have to say that I really enjoyed most of all um, this afterward by the author. Um, I actually really did enjoy that. There's a little um, interview where Rachel Joyce narrates an interview between herself and Marjorie and Enid, come back from the dead, <laughs> and then there's a little short essay on quote-unquote the, pho the photograph that inspired a novel, um, and she tells a story that's kind of spooky actually about um, how she kept seeing these two women and uh, one was uh, heavier set and one was older and more frail and uh, they were spirits and she was approaching a uh, medium or one of those kind of people about the death of her father but the medium kept wanting to bring up the two women <laughs> that she kept seeing um, and then she realized when she moved into a new house that these two women had lived in her house in the 1920s um, and onward. And so what was really interesting to me is how the book, her process of how this book developed. And um, for me, that's the biggest lesson I got out of this book is her journey of um, writing this novel and realizing that it was about two people, not one and that the journey was really about their relationship and not really about the adventure itself. And so um, I really gleaned a lot from that as I, as I mentioned. And um, would I read other books by Rachel Joyce? I would be interested in reading her short fiction. I know she has a couple of short stories that are very, fairly well known. Um, I'm not sure if I would read another novel just because, like I said, the plot arc wasn't the best in my opinion, um, but that is all my personal opinion, so if this book remotely interests you, I would say give it a read. It's a standard length novel, about 340 pages, so it's not something that's going to A, break the bank, or B, break your time. <laughs> so in that regard, I think it's a really um, good read. Part three, who this box is for. I would love to do this box with a kid. Like, I feel like this would be so cool. I was in a reading club in high school where we went to an elementary school and we read to them and we had sort of a pen pal thing going on. Um, and I feel like this book would be so cool. Like if I had children one day, um, to get the box and to read the book to them at, in the evenings or whenever um, and have them interact with the objects. I feel like that would be so special. 
Um, and as I have frequently said, especially in, I feel like, one of the Twilight episodes most recently, um, I'm a huge proponent of anything that gets younger people reading, especially teens. Um, anything that gets teens off of their technology and into a book, I am a fervent advocate of. Um, and I think this, especially for um, me as a young, young reader, like between the ages of 10 and 12, I would have loved this. <laughs> and I would have super enjoyed getting these little gifts every month and everything like that. And sort of having new streams of literature come into my life. I felt like um, that was such an important aspect of my reading in general when I was younger, that I had great influences that were bringing new literature into my life. It wasn't like I was reading the same things by the same authors, which I mean, kind of I was <laughs> in some senses, but there, was, there were people who in my life, um, thank goodness, who were able to bring in and sort of revitalize my reading, and that's what kept me going. It wasn't the same things all the time. And so, um, you know, if I had children, like I said, or if I knew people with children, I would definitely recommend this book box to them, um, just because I feel like that would super get kids engaged, and especially because I know that there's a version of the book box for younger readers. I would also recommend this book box for people who want external pushes to start reading. Maybe people who see themselves reading more and, and don't know uh, how to get into reading, people who want their books chosen for them. Um, as with every box, um, they, these boxes have really given me different sources of uh, books, especially from contemporary fiction that, as I have said time and time again in the series, I would not be drawn to normally. And so um, that's been really interesting. So if you are a reader who wants someone to curate your books for you or has gotten into a rut with their reading, I would recommend this one. Um, if you just like getting little gifts, <laughs> go for it as well. Um, this book box would not be for someone who um, does not care for the gifts. I think a lot of the price point of this book box is because of the gifts, um, because they're so curated, because they're so thought after. Um, the book Once Upon a Book Club just expanded as well. Um, I believe their headquarters is in Mesa, Arizona, so I'm happy to shout out a fellow Arizonan. Um, and yeah, in terms of little things with this, shipping was um, fine for me. I know that they did have shipping delays around the holidays, partly due to shipping providers around that time, and they moved during the holidays, which is crazy. Um, but in terms of shipping, I had no problems personally with it. came on time, it was fine. Um, and they were very transparent. They emailed me throughout the process. This is when we are dispatching books. This is when we're preparing boxes. So I was really grateful for that transparency besides. In terms of will I get this box again, I would not subscribe just because like I said, I'm a minimalist. I don't need more stuff. <laughs> I'm super content with my reading list currently as well. So if I did get this box again, it would be one of their one-off boxes, which they are starting to produce, which is kind of exciting because um, it's something a little different. You know more about the theme, for example, in these one-off boxes. I believe they just released one that was uh, romance themed for February. Um, if you're interested in that, all of the links, as per usual, are below in the description, relevanceofliterature.com slash notes.
All right, that is it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed. Thank you so, so much for your time and for your attention. I really appreciate it. Have a wonderful rest of your day. If you enjoyed the episode and would like to hear more from us, we've done everything from Shakespeare to Dracula. There really is a show and a series for everyone, so I'd recommend checking out our website at relevanceofliterature.com under the ongoing series tab for links to our entire back catalog of episodes, as well as any current goings-on of our show. If you are looking for even more content, we also have a Patreon page at patreon.com slash relevanceofliterature. Thank you so much for your support, and we'll see you next time.